Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Trip. Rob, we're back at it, friend. We are indeed back at it. And we are sitting here at the table with uh, one of the premier leaders around the church, uh, Reverend Pastor Samuel Rodriguez. He's a, I didn't know this, he's a movie producer, an author, civil rights activist, television personality. He's the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. And the, the, the way we know him best is he's the mentor of our good friend, Ellie Bonilla. And yeah. we are excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Sammy. And he is a whale of a preacher. Thank you. A whale of a preacher. <laughs> a whale of a preacher. Well, we don't have any offering to give today, so. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for having me, gentlemen. Honored to be with you, indeed. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know you were a movie producer. So how did that come about? I am, by the grace of God. I, I began consulting like Paramount, 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers. They would bring me in. They would fly me into Hollywood. And I would look over scripts. I would look at movies before they would come out, even in pre-post-production modes. So I would see the rough cut of the film. I, I would critique it. These were primarily faith and family films, right, but right, from right. secular, but secular studios. Um, and from there, I did a little bit of acting on God's Not Dead. And then from there, I just looked at scripts and I was intrigued. It's it, 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 according to your theological worldview. In 2011, there was a very prominent, uh, I believe in the giftings of the spirit. So it's part of my DNA. Yeah. Uh, so in 2011, there was a woman who came into our church, a very prominent person who you would recognize the name, a very well-respected person of integrity. And she said, Samuel, God says Hollywood. At that time, I had a hard, dip- I had a difficult time spelling Hollywood. Nevertheless, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was a word. And um, I went, Lord, you know, I've never heard this word before as it pertains to my life. But I don't doubt you. And First Thessalonians 5.24, you who called me and, and declared it, you were faithful to do it. Amen. Well, I saw, I saw, I heard about a news story on, from the St. Louis Dispatch newspaper about a kid who drowned and a mom who came into an emergency room and said, Holy Spirit, bring my son back to life. I just read that. That took that the same week it happened. And I started talking about it from my pulpit, from my television program. And... The, the woman called me up and said, I'm a fan and a follower, Pastor Sam. I've been following you for years, but you're shortchanging my story. And I said, sorry, ma'am, my apology. What am I doing wrong? You continue to tell, tell the world my son died for 15 minutes. He actually died for an hour and eight minutes. Wow. And that's when I said, ma'am, not that, not, not that I'm doubting you, but is that verifiable? Will every doctor sign off on that? Uh, is that your interpretation? No, no, Pastor Sam. Who do you want to talk to? The number one drowning expert in America happens to be based out of St. Louis, Missouri. And he was the one that treated my son. He writes the journals. Do you want to talk to him? Yes. The rest is history. Just, wow. uh, I, I, got a, I got a green light from the Lord and said, make that into a movie. So I told her I'm going to make this into a movie. And that's Breakthrough. So that's how we produce Breakthrough the movie. Yeah, I cried um, in the trailer of that movie. Yeah, for sure. Did you really? Yeah. Just, just the trailer. Like I was in tears. I was like, whoa, that's like, that's a lot. <laughs> just the trailer. I thought it was the Bruno Mars song. But then, uh, then, then, then later on with uh, Flaming Hot, we're producing two other movies right now. And we just released one a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, it's, it's part of what I do. I'll be doing it for the next 50 years. Awesome. Nice. You know, you know who we need to connect into is our friend Madeline Carroll. Yeah, do you, you know, know Madeline? Madeline? No. Madeline was in, um, I can only imagine, and then yeah. was a co-writer, I think. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so yes, we yes, talked yes, to her yes. a couple months back, and she's a spitfire. Like, Man, she's, she's incredible. Yeah. In, uh, Brilliant. In, in Hollywood and sort of being sort of a representation of Christ in that setting. And so, I'm listen, that's, like, that's a match made in Hollywood right there. <laughs> See, I, I love that. Pun intended. <laughs> that was right. pun intended. <laughs> secret confessions of a podcaster here Uh, and i've mentioned this on the show before but there was a point in time in my life where i really wanted to act in movies i didn't know that oh yeah you remember all those dramas i did here at lee for lee day yeah i do remember that though hold on let me take let me take a screenshot so i could have your face there do you want to reference it yes give me your side profile please there it is sir it's like if only only the people listening could see they can't i don't my hard part right now isn't very clean i need to get a haircut before you you maybe i love this listen what's funny about this 
uh, Pastor, is that that we were in a we were in a production meeting with a guy who does some social media, and Rob the other day, I promise you, it was Thursday. You said I'm going to jump straight from book writing. Not going to write a book. I'm going to make a movie. Like <laughs> that was a word from the Lord, I think. Yeah, you know, just bypass it, bypass the bureaucracy. Yeah. Get right to it. I was Brilliant. Just going to do it. Love it. Love it. Love it. We are, we are way off track. We are way we off track. But, I love this. Um, again, we mentioned, pardon me, how you, your name came up is through Ellie Bonilla, who we think the world of. Yeah. Ellie's a great young man. Um, share a little bit about your mentoring relationship with Ellie, um, how that came to be, and really what, what you see as a role of a mentor um, in the lives of young adults. Ellie Bonilla, undoubtedly, and, and I'm, I'm, the phrase all things being equal, which is an American colloquialism, I'm going I'm to somehow remove that and say, by the grace of God, as Ellie lives a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life, I am convinced that Ellie Bonilla will be one of the, mo one of the most anointed, prominent leaders of his generation, period. Not in one ethnic block, not in one demographic he will, without a doubt, emerge as one of the, one of the most prolific, anointed uh, leaders of his generation, without a doubt. That's Samuel Rodriguez. It's, it's prophetic in nature, all, all, joking, all joking aside, but it's legitimate because I know it. I sense it. I feel that. Yeah. Um, and the mentoring relationship is Elijah and Elijah, 101. It's First Kings, you know, 19. Yeah. 20. It's, it's that reality. It's, it's just the reality of what happens when you pass your mantle or when you see yeah. someone pushing a plow, First Kings 1919. That's what Ellie is doing right now. He's pushing the plow like Elisha was pushing the plow. We've, we, my generation, we take our mantle, we place it, and then we spend some time together in Gilgal, in Bethel, in Jericho, in Jordan, mm -hmm. and so forth. And we walk, I'm speaking metaphorically using right. biblical passages, yeah. but we walk together in life. And we do this together in such a way that he ends up doing greater things. So Ellie Bonilla will do greater things than Ellie Bonilla Sr. And then Samuel Rodriguez, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I would agree, man. I love yeah. that kid. And, and I, like, I think he won quarantine. Like when, when the world shut down, Ellie came to life. And he was doing things on social media and having yeah. conversations ahead of everybody else and making an impact probably in that, in that realm, faster and better than anybody else. And I was yeah. just blown away by what he was doing. Pastor, what, what I love about what you're saying is, and I think, I think when we think about mentoring, there's two, there's two reasons why I think a lot of leaders uh, don't invest in other leaders. And one is the time and energy it takes to actually do it well, right? And right. so there's a legitimate concern there about how much time is it going to require of me? How much investment do I have to give to another leader? which for me, and, and we could debate on this, is not a question of, of resources. It's a question of prior, prioritizing those resources, right? So Without a doubt. Right, I think that's what it boils down to. That one is, so do I have the time, the energy to invest in another leader? The second, the second aspect, I think, is what I really like what you're saying here is mentorship is not a content dump. It's not taking book knowledge and saying, hey, go read these seven books, though as a mentor, you may recommend seven books. It's, it's literally saying, it's literally saying, how can I journey with you? How can I partner with you? How can mm -hmm. I uh, help you? How can I support you? How can I lift you up, build you up, et cetera? And so I think those two things are, are challenging for leaders to, to navigate. And so for you, as someone who's obviously extremely busy, and we could use in quotations the term successful, because that's, that's variable to whoever de determines success. But with your success, with your, with your schedule, with your speaking schedule, because you preach all over the world, making movies, all the stuff that you do, how do you find the time? What causes you to prioritize um, your life in such ways that you want to invest in a young leader? It, it, my next, let's say Ellie Bonilla represents my next. My next enriches my now. Mm. My now stands to be exponentially enriched by my commitment, not just commitment, not rhetorical, not hype, but right. my, but my commitment, com dedication to seeing Ellie emerge and thrive. So I, I, it behooves me. I must make it a priority. And the allocation of time is not a burden. It's actually part of my DNA of what I have to do as it, as it pertains to my mentoring call. 
again, I discovered even in this chapter in life that Samuel Rodriguez is now is completely connected to who I mentor next. Yeah. And that mentoring, and you, you alluded to the book content, you know, a word of advice. It's, it's transfer of mantle. And I don't want to get mystical about that. And I don't want to get weird about it. As Christians, we're not weird. We're wired. Simply stated, I, I just want to share my experiences. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ellie, right. I'm going to tell you what I did right. I'm going to tell you what I did wrong. Let me be authentic, transparent with you. Let me tell you stuff I've never wrote in a book. Let me tell you stuff I've never shared in a public setting. But because I love you so much and believe in your calling that you will do greater things, let me lay this out for you. Be careful with the following things or advance this, build on this. That's mentoring right there. It's yeah. being transparent. It's showing both your, your wounds and your medals, not just right. your medals. Yeah, that's good. So, so pastor, was there somebody in your life who was that to you? Or is this just something you, you mentioned the first Kings passage? Um, or was I, it something you took up? Great question. So I, I, from an organizational standpoint, yes. From a personal standpoint, no. So from, as, as the leader of the NHCLC and so forth, I had mentors, Dr. Jesse Miranda, Felix Posos, other brilliant, amazing people who mentored me. And I'm, and I'm the spiritual byproduct as it pertains to an organizational leader of the legacy of Dr. Jesse Miranda, who was my forerunner and my spiritual dad in, in the organization in leading the Latino national movement. Uh, but Outside the organization, from a personal perspective, even from a personal pastoral perspective, even though I had the greatest pastor growing up, the, the mentoring as we know it never took place because there was a vacuum. And because there was a vacuum in my developmental years, in my 20s. So during my 20s, I was already in ministry. I started preaching when I was 16 years of age. So I was already in ministry. But in my 20s, I didn't have a mentor. Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, um, I, I, I took it upon myself to say, Samuel, you're not going to repeat the cycle going forward. You need to become the answer to the vacuum that you experience. And hence my commitment to mentoring the next generation and doing it with integrity, doing it with transparency, doing it with a commitment that you just reference, not just, hey, read a book, call me once every two months, yeah. let's have Starbucks. You know, it's, it's a little bit more well-defined. Uh, it's not high maintenance, but it's high output. Yeah. I think one of the most significant statements we've had on the whole show, all three seasons, and I think this echoes so much what you're saying, came from Larry Osborne um, down there in South, uh, North Coast sure. in San Diego. Um, yep. And we were, we were having a conversation about mentoring uh, young leaders, and we asked him kind of what was his driving motivation behind getting guys like Chris Brown, right? He gave Chris Brown the pulpit early, right? Larry still right. had a lot of work to do. So, um, but anyway, so he, he said to us, he said, one of the things that drives me most, he said, by the time I got to the green room, I didn't need the people who were sitting in it. And so his whole motivation is, is not waiting until, you know, it's a green room experience to invest in young leaders, invest in young leaders now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, I think this is exactly what you're echoing in terms of the young adult engagement, because for, for us, I mean, and partially primarily maybe even, reason why we wanted to do this podcast is because again, we want to help answer the question, why are young adults not engaging in local church? And, right. So, and I think this is a huge part of the equation is because they're ser searching for leaders who will inform them and direct them and guide them and invest in them. And unfortunately, as much as we don't like to criticize the church, it is one of the bigger vacuums in the church is yeah. this mentoring issue. Without a doubt, this millennial and Z generations have a very special, a very unique inclination embedded in their generational DNA, in their mitochondria, which is simply stated what you just referenced. My generation, I'm a generation Xer. I'm an 80s kid. So I'm a generation Xer. In my generation, you want a pastor who would teach the word, preach the word, biblical orthodoxy, the centrality of Christ, right. who will help me grow in my faith. This generation says, I want that plus I want a mentor. Right. Yeah. I want that and, and so, a cup of coffee. Right. So. Yeah. I want a mentor. I want a pastor or someone, a leader who will sit down with me, guide me. You reference guiding that will be there in the most critical moments of my life as it pertains to decision making. And that's something my generation as an Xer, all I wanted was a pastor who, you know, lived right, preached right. Yeah. Got me closer to God. 
uh, and don't forget, we were all Jesus is coming, so we were we didn't want yeah, all that the whole, you know, uh, you know, exactly. escapism, which you know, Christ is coming. By the way, to the audience, I believe that, so I'm not saying he's not coming, <laughs> but back in in the just before we get hate emails, but back in the 1980s, 70s, and 80s, there was an obsession of he's coming right now. Let's get out yeah. of here. Um, and you know, we didn't have time to prepare the next generation, so now we're living in a different reality. I think every single pastor should be fully committed, not just to growing churches, making disciples, but to mentoring the next generation. Yeah. Uh, there's an Elijah and Elisha relationship, a Paul and Timothy, so apropos, necessary. It's no longer a luxury. It's a requirement in order for us to not just survive, but to thrive as viable churches in 21st century America and for around the world for that matter. And yeah. I think this tension is literally reshaping the social fabric of the local church in America. Right. And we're, we haven't caught up to it yet. And yeah. I think things like COVID is expediting the need. It's expediting the urgency to invest in the next generation. So, yeah, let, it, yeah. It, the, the part of the equation I've not figured out, Pastor, maybe you can speak to this, is um, I have a mentor in my life, and we talked about it before we came on the air, a mutual friend, um, Dr. Wilson, who's at ORU, who was my pastor. He was a mentor, but he mentored a man who's uh, a professor here at Lee, Dr. Lamb, who mentored me, and it was this sort of generational passing down. But I think sometimes what we see is somebody gets mentored and they stop the process. How do we, how do we make it generational? I think about Moses and Joshua, like Joshua has spent a lot of time with Moses. We get to the book of Joshua. We don't see Joshua giving a lot of individual time to somebody. How do we no. keep the cycle moving forward where Joshua begins to hand the mantle down to somebody? That is that there, there, there must be a commitment. It must be intentional. It must be again, part of the cultural DNA of the personal development of every pastor, of every minister. So every pastor and every minister, we know about our commitment to biblical truth of living a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life, a life of integrity that magnifies and exalts Christ, a spirit-empowered life. We must add on to that a mentoring life, mm -hmm. a multi-generational element. That should be part of our rubric. It should be part of the university, every major university, every teaching platform and forum. This must be part of who we are as kingdom people as Christians, as Christian leaders. Mentoring is not something we do in the margins. It's not an afterthought. It's not something right. I do after right. the game is over. It's not, by the way, if I have time, it's integral for the effective outreach of Christendom in the 21st century and for the expansion of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So again, we must integrate that. Let me tell you what I look at mentoring as doing. When I think about mentoring, I, I think about a relationship that speaks of three areas, the heart, the head, and the hand. Every mentor has a relational dynamic, a facilitative platform by which they can impact the heart, the head, and the hand of their protege, the heart, the head, and the hand. The heart is your affective domain, your soul, your nefesh, your emotional well-being. And your head is your cognitive domain, your intellect. Your hand is the practical, the practical. And three other words would be every mentor should hear, inspire, should inform, and should impart inspiration through the heart, information through the head, and impartation through the hand. That's what mentoring is all about. The heart, the head, and the hand. Inspiration, information, impartation. You inspire your mentoree, your protege. Mm -hmm. You inform them. You equip them with knowledge that they convert to the spirit of God through wisdom, to wisdom. And then you have impartation. That's the prophetic element. That's the let me pray over you. Let me hear from heaven. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Let, let, let me impart some lessons that I went through in my valley, my, my, uh, you know, mountaintop experiences, my desert experiences, my promised land experiences. Let me do that. Information, inspiration, impartation, the heart, the head, and the hand. If you, if you memorize that, you're going to do a great job in mentoring the next generation. Do things with integrity, do things with transparency and authenticity. And again, advance the ball forward. Make sure you never sacrifice truth, uh, for the sake of living vicariously to your protege. So make sure you share truth with love constantly. And we're going we're gonna to prepare the next generation to do greater things. Guys, I don't drink the Kool-Aid, man. I don't do the whole, this is the last generation of Christian dumb in America. This is the last generation that would be, I don't drink it. I know it's everywhere, but I don't drink it. 
Amen. I think the next I think I think the next generation is going to rock the world. I think the next this emerging generation, I think the millennial generation will be the most anointed, spirit-empowered, Christ-centered, Bible-based generation in the history of Christendom. And we're about to see more people come to Christ than ever before. I, I love agree. it. Here and it is. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, we agree. We agree we're 100% right there with you. And this is the reason why I left full-time pastoral ministry to come back to a college campus of 5,000 students is because I feel so passionately that millennials, Gen Z, now entering yep. and engaging college level courses and classwork. This is the generation that I think will so radically shape and reform, renew, restore, revive uh, the church in America. Yes, but also the church global. And it's just, yeah. It is unbelievable what, 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 God we've, is doing. what we've learned, I think, and maybe you've seen some of this, Pastor, is that Gen Z and, and especially younger millennials, they have a different set of rules. Like they're not waiting totally. for their turn. They yeah. create their own space, they create their own resources. We've talked to a couple, a couple of wonderful young ladies, uh, Hannah uh, Granowski, who's in Chicago, Hope Mo Quinn, who's in Atlanta, um, Carson Case, other individuals that are like in their 20s that are just not waiting for the church to hand them opportunity. They're creating their own space and opportunity for the very goal of reaching the kingdom, reaching for the kingdom. And they're not just going to, Hey, it's my turn. Pick me. They're going, no, I'm going to go take care of it myself. I'm just driving out into it. Love it. This is the first generation of world history that has the opportunity of building their own platform. Yeah. Yeah. Every other generation prior had to build, had to wait for someone to pass over the baton, the proverbial baton, the mic, the mantle, whatever other you know metaphor you want to apply. Not this generation. Well, I'm not waiting. Now, again, it's a good thing, but it could be a dangerous thing. Right. right. It's a great thing, but it could be a precarious thing because then we could have a generation of individuals who are not necessarily prepared or equipped adequately yeah. to, to engage. So indeed, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, yeah. it's, it's an unprecedented season but there's a generation that's not going to wait in perpetuity for someone to pass the mantle. Don't, they, they'll tailor their own. Yeah. Can we speak to Gen X? I'm at, well, I'm a Gen X. Rob's Gen, Gen X, X. You're Gen X. We were the generation waiting our turn. And then millennials came in yep. and just kind of took their turn. To the leaders that are listening that are sort of caught in between, how can they be innovators? How can they be almost, I hate to say Christian entrepreneurs, but it's somewhat what it is, and, and not – overstep the leadership in front of them because there's a lot of leaders still in their fifties and sixties still leading churches and nonprofits. How can they put their, I hate to say their best foot forward to borrow and then their colloquialism, but really push into what God's calling them to do without overstepping the leaders that are there. That takes maturity. It takes maturity. It takes a firewall against being presumptuous. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you don't want to kill a dream. You want to feed the dream, and it, it takes a level of maturity. It takes my generation, your generation, same generation, to speak into the millennials, primarily the younger millennials and Generation Z, and telling them, hey, we're here for you. Mm -hmm. We are here for you. You're not called, ordained, purpose to do this by yourself. Never. If you want to get biblical about it, just reference, Jesus never commissioned them one by one. Right. Yeah. He commissioned them two by two. Yeah. From the beginning, from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to Moses and Joshua, to Elijah and Elisha, you name it. Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Batman and Robin, <laughs> Adam and Costello. You have, you know, you're always ordained two by two. Uh, so, it, you know, we need to educate, we need to equip, we need to inform the emerging generation of don't jump the gun. Don't, you know, get ahead of yourself. If not, it's going to be more precarious, more dangerous. You're going to suffer a lot more heartaches. Let's do this together. And we promise we won't be your lid. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to stifle your calling and your purpose and your dream. We just want to help you grow in it and thrive in it in such a way that God is honored and that you are protected. So it's up to us. It's information dissemination, right? It's a PSA. Yeah. So it's, it's totally up to us. 
Yeah, and, and I think, I, well, I wanted to give a shout out to the Goonies right there just because we're Gen Xers, but, uh, you know, and they, they <laughs> all together, right? I so, didn't know this was a movies podcast, well, but apparently it, it is. It is clearly a movies it could podcast, be now. It's, right? It's, it's, I sense it. I totally sense it, indeed. <laughs> but, okay, let's shift gears just a little bit here, right? Because you you are a leader in, in a multitude of different capacities. Um, for all intentional purposes, you've had pretty substantial success in terms of your leadership roles. And we know that that didn't come without failure. And we know that that did not come without challenge or obstacle or all of those things. But as a leader in, in the film industry, uh, as a leader from a, from a public speaking perspective, pastoral ministry, as a leader, even in the political realm where you've had significant amount of influence uh, on, on decisions that affect our whole nation. So for you as a leader in these multitudinous capacities, Kind of, what are some of the biggest wins that you think to this point that you've had that you can help translate to other leaders uh, who, who are listening? So what are some of those, those big moments for you? Some of the big moments, and let me speak to the specific moment and then to sort of the, the meta-narrative, the macro sort of win. Um, some of the big moments, of, I had the privilege of, of speak, being the first of my kind to speak at Ebenezer Baptist Church for the Martin Luther King Jr. commemorative ceremony for the 40th. It was a big thing. It was on CNN, the different news agencies live around the world. And, and they invited me to keynote. Uh, to me, that's just a big moment because when I was growing up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I wanted to reconcile Billy Graham's message with Dr. King's march. I'm growing up, I'm 14 years of age, and I noticed the fact that the church was divided between basically the followers of Billy Graham and the followers of Dr. King. Yeah. So I basically, I saw a righteousness church and I saw a justice church. And, and, and then this 14 year old kid from Bethlehem, whose dad was a Mack truck worker and his mom was a home worker. And I just, my mom was, came out of a church of God church from Puerto Rico. Um, I, I, I looked at myself and went like, why can't we be both? Why can't we be both Billy Graham and Dr. King? Why can't we be both righteousness and justice? So years later to see myself on that stage, then at the same time, meeting with Dr. Billy Graham, serving on his board um, the, of the organizations he founded, meeting with him physically, literally reconciled, but physically interacting with Billy Graham and the Dr. King legacy. That to me was a tipping point of if you, if you put your heart into it, if you let yourself be led by the spirit of God, if you commit yourself to living a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life, if you can shake off the dust, if you're able to grow, through your mistakes, not just go through them, but grow through them, because I made mistakes. If you're able to have the maturity and the humility enough to recognize when you need help, then you're going to see your dream become a reality. And your dream means God's purpose and assignment for your life, 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Jeremiah 29, 11, that purpose becomes a reality. That's one of them. The inauguration, when I, when I was invited to be the first spirit-empowered person yeah. in the history of America, to, to pray at the inaugural for, Dr. for President Trump. I already participated. I've advised three presidents, President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump as an advisor. I participated in President Obama's church inaugural service, the one that's before he gets on right. the Capitol. So I was there back in 2008, he invited me, and I read from, I believe, the Gospel of Luke. This time, President Trump invited me on the big stage, and it was the first spirit-empowered person in American history to ever take that role. That to me was the fulfillment of a 14-year-old kid in an Assembly of God church in Pennsylvania, where I was raised, where God said, you're going to pray over presidents, and I'm going to place you on platforms that will, that if I really, even throughout the course of my years, you know, receiving, you know, just God speaking to us, Samuel, if I would really lay out everything I have for you, you would run away. It would scare you. And to see that moment where I'm speaking before a billion people lifting up the name of Jesus, all because I refused to sacrifice truth on the altar of political expediency. All because when I was told, shut down, Sam, tone down the whole Jesus obsession everywhere you go. You're on CNN, Fox, and MSNBC. You're on ABC and Univision. And everywhere you go, you have to reference Jesus. Tone that down. Do away with the Jesus. Say faith. Say, say love. But you're going to get more platforms and more doors opening up for you. But because I didn't, because I didn't sacrifice truth. Because I understand that today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. Because I live by that, the Lord opened the door that no man was able to shut down. So the lesson here le learned is 
don't sacrifice truth. Advance truth with love. If all we do is speak truth, we're either mathematicians or Pharisees. If all we do is speak love, we're hippies. But if we do truth with love, we are Christians yeah. and we are people of the kingdom. And that's what guides me every single day. Some of the big highlights that you just uh, uh, asked for. And, and it inspires me to tell the next generation, stay true to God, stay true to yourself. Don't try to impress anyone. If doors close, don't whine about it. There's a sovereign God who is in charge who will open a door that no man will, be ever, will ever be able to shut down. Yeah, that's, that's so good. So let's, let's unpack this statement really quick because I think this is super critical to the conversation. Uh, today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. Okay, so I think there are some very clear ways all of us could probably identify complacencies in the church that have now led to captivity of the church, right? Don't need to get real political about that. That's not the point. The point is we can all identify those, those pieces. Help us unpack how we move from captivity to freedom. Get us from bondage to freedom in, in church in America. There it right is. Now. And there are vestiges of captivity, without a doubt, which we're not going to reference for the sake of avoiding a, a, a rabbit hole right. as it pertains yeah. to a certain number of items that we're not going to get into right now. Which is, by the way, all we're doing right now is just saying it's not politically correct to address these issues right now, so we're going to avoid them. But here it is. Uh, <laughs> you can address and, them if you and, want to. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, 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 I, no, but I'm in alignment with you because it's a rabbit hole. It has no end. There's so many issues that really hold. The, the, the church is the most beautiful entity on the planet. Amen. It is, it is the only entity guaranteed to never fail, and the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Mm -hmm. So we are, we, we are the body of Christ. We, we are empowered by the spirit of God who gives us breath every single day. At the same time, there are segments within the church because humanity is embedded within the church and its leadership motif. There are elements that are captive. Ideas, John 8, 32, John 8, 36, 2 Corinthians three seventeen, all speak to freedom, of course. These are the, the quintessential freedom verses. And there are people, there are expressions, manifestations to be set free. We do it by number one, adhering to scripture. We do it and by scripture, by the word of God. We do it by being led by the spirit of God. We do it by a commitment of making those that follow us greater than ourselves. The moment we live with that mindset, every single person who will follow me will be greater than myself. Be it my children, my children's children, people I'm mentoring. The moment we wake up with that idea that I'm gonna prepare the way, I'm going to prepare the way for the next. We're going to be free. The moment we repudiate every vestige of perpetual victimization, victimology 101, there are segments within the church that continue to espouse the idea of perpetual victimization. You can't be both more than a conqueror, Romans 8.37, and a perpetual victim. Yeah. Hence, some of the current melees in America. Some of the stuff going on in America does not line up with scripture. Even some of the idea, I'm a perpetual victim. I'm a victim, 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 victim. You can be a victim for a day, maybe for a season, but not for a lifetime. Mm. And when you advance the idea that every generation of a certain ethnicity or demographic or social economic or political class or a region, that that because of where you're born or how you're born or the color of your skin or your gender, whatever, that you are a victim, that's antithetical to scripture. It's not even lined up. It's not Christian. So there, the moment you ask, how do we get, how do we become free by repudiating perpetual victimization, by pushing back against it, by acknowledging the fact that, the, that we must pass on to the next generation greater things. This is where we, I can declare that my children will not inherit my sins. My children will inherit my blessings. If I do the right thing, my children will not inherit my mistakes. My children will inherit my mantle and my miracles. It's that sort of mindset that's biblically substantiated from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter five, to the New Testament. It's that declaration, that way of living, that way of believing that will enable us to be set free from some of the crazy cuckoo for cocoa puff stuff that right now is holding people captive. Yeah. The church has to wake up, man. Yes. There is no yeah. such thing as comfortable Christianity. There's no such thing as complacent Christianity, politically correct Christianity, or silent Christianity. We are better than Starbucks. We're better than the NFL. We're better than Apple. The greatest, most innovative minds are in the church. Like, I, I believe the next Apple 
the next iPhone will be created by a born again, spirit empowered Christian. The next technological boom will be born again, spirit empowered millennial and generation Z people without a doubt. The next big movies, I don't mean just cute movies, the next sci-fi movies. How about this? The next star Wars, star Trek venture will be written by a spirit empowered, born again, Christ centered child of God. The next innovation, reaching Mars, we're going to reach Mars. I mean, we're going to see Christians inundating the spheres of influence in such a way that it's no longer Christians in a silo, Christians in the church. It's Christians in the marketplace in every sphere of influence. And I am believing that. And, and you and I, we're going to be around and see it and give God the glory for it. And this is the crux of the warfare that we're experiencing. Indeed. I, because, because the suppression of the Christian voice, the innovation, the creativity, what God has already ordained and created for us to do is being attacked, not because it's politically correct, but because the enemy understands what we are able to do and able to produce, not because of who we are, but because mm -hmm. of who he is. Yeah. He's got to suffocate that voice. If, if we see, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other explanation for it. It's, it's, it, it's spiritual warfare. I agree. We're, we're, Go ahead, Pastor. Real quick, we're about to shift from consumers to producers. There you that's, go. That's, we're, that's we, good. The church has been consuming, 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 consuming. Now we're about to produce, 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 produce. It, it's, it's Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. Amen. In that vein, let's talk about calling because I think calling is a critical component because for, for generations, calling was really boxed into a couple things. You either were a preacher, maybe you were a worship leader, or you were a missionary. Like calling was boxed into several things. But for a generation now, the Gen Z, the millennials especially, calling looks completely different. Um, how do we set people free to be called and what God's called them to do and it not look like the, the typical things? It's by articulating well, this podcast, this podcast, articulating expressions. Every time we're on the podium, be it from the local church to a conference, to a winter fest, to whatever it may be, uh, to whatever it may be, uh, we need to express this. Ladies and gentlemen, do not limit God. These are wonderful things. We, we appreciate and honor the fivefold ministry. Praise be God, we get that. It's beautiful. But there are a list of ministry opportunities that transcend anything that can limit us to five selections or seven. You can be a minister in the marketplace. You Absolutely. can be a minister and be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Matter of fact, you should be. Uh, you know, Pastor Sam, I'm not called to preach, but you're called to do what? To be an innovator, to be creative, to be a scientist, to be the most gifted doctor. That's what I'm talking about. We yeah. expand the narrative. Enlarge your tent. Isaiah 54 verse 2. Stretch your cords, your pegs. Make room. Make room. And we suffer from myopia, theological myopic thinking, where it's tunnel vision. And there's a generation emerging that's going, we're bringing down these walls. So go get them. Entertainment. Let's look at every sphere of influence and let's occupy it. Let's occupy the very area hell has fought to keep us out of. Let's yeah. do it. I think it's, it's the rise of the secular saint, if you want to call it that. It's, Love that. Brilliant. It, that's great. It, it's, and it, I think it is what is going to usher in revival in our, in our churches and in our Agreed. community, in our homes. So, uh Man, I, I, I really want to go a lot of places right now. But... <laughs> your, it's your podcast. It's yeah. our podcast. I mean, go ahead. <laughs> but no, I think, I think these are such relevant, important conversations because I think we have a generation of pastors who are currently serving who want so bad to, to not only empower the next generation, but to participate with the next generation. They want so bad to see growth and revival and restoration in their communities and in their churches. And they want so bad to know how to handle these very delicate and sensitive conversations about, about race and ethnicity and, and yeah. politics and all of these things that they're up against. And, and again, gentlemen, if I, you, let me digress here a moment. You, you asked approximately 11 minutes and 41 seconds ago, what were the moments, right? I, and I want to get, I, I want to reiterate this. We can't sacrifice truth on the altar of political, cultural, or sexual expediency. These conversations that you're referencing that we must have, if we don't have them, someone else will. Right. 
the church, the church should be having. Here's my problem, guys. I feel the church right now, again, I love the church. We're not being critical of the church, but we're being Absolutely. critical of the church, if you know what I mean. I do. It's, constru it's constructive criticism because we love our tribe. We love the church because it is the answer to this broken world. Christ through his church, that's the way he operates, yeah. through his Holy Spirit, through his church. Right now, the culture is telling us to do jumping jacks. You know what the church is doing? Jumping jacks. The culture is telling us to repeat, Mary had a little lamb. And the church is going, Mary had a little lamb. The culture's leading the way. It should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. Why is the church following the culture? It should be the culture. We are called to be the head and not the tail. And right now, we're doing everything the culture is telling us to do. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's time for us to take our space and our place as the leaders of transformation. We're never going to see the issues of race or the anger, the consternation, the discord solved by politicians. Donkeys and elephants will never resolve what the lamb died for. Amen. Period. So it's the agenda of the lamb, but it's the church that owns the agenda of the lamb, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We need to stand up. Every conversation has a viable, biblically substantiated solution. You name it. Be it the race issue. Be it the gender issue. But it requires us to speak truth. Truth with love. We can't water it down. We can't drink the Kool-Aid. We got to stop listening to NFL players and NBA basketball players instead of listening to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm not going to let a basketball player or a political pundit dictate my worldview instead of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the Apostle Paul. We need a church that is courageous enough to make that statement. Yeah. Jeff and I, are, I, I feel like I'm dominating here. Maybe no, this is my personal counseling session. <laughs> we have those often on here. <laughs> Jeff said something to me the other day. We, we live, we live in, a, in a spirit-led sort of reality. We make no apologies about that. Jeff stepped into my Amen. office the other day, and he said, hey, listen, did God tell you to say something the other day? And I said, I said yes, he did. And, um, and basically the question is, why didn't you say something? And I had to wrestle through this, this, this thing that no prophetic voice can live by fear. You can't be a prophet and live in fear. You can't speak no. the word of God and live in fear. Those two things don't coincide any more than, than what you were talking about a few minutes ago. And so I think for a lot of us, the, the unction is there. The desire is there. The words are there. God is moving. God is speaking. The spirit is, is dripping his words from heaven. And we're, we're, we're closing them up in our mouths because we're just so afraid. <laughs> you, know, you know what I heard a couple of days ago from a, from a prominent leader who I love? Uh, I heard a couple of days ago from a prominent leader who's my friend who said, Sam, this is what's in my heart. And I went, man, have you made that statement? He went, no, I can't because I'm white. Mm. I part of me wanted to just slap him and then just lay hands on spe and speak in tongues over him for an hour and then slap him again. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're telling me the color of your skin determines the prophetic articulation of what the spirit of God placed in your heart. Amen. Holy yeah. cow. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all a diabolical fear strategy from the pit of hell to silence our voices. I don't care what skin color you are. Who cares? I don't care what, what baseball, it doesn't matter. We're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid of culture that is making an idol out of race and out of gender, out of human sexuality. If God gave you a word, give the word. Even if the word is about our current racial melees, I don't care if you're white from Appalachia. If God gave you a word, give it. Yeah. Give it. I don't care what it is. Give it. It doesn't matter your skin color, your, your age, your ethnicity. My goodness, we have to push back on this ludicrousy. Just prophesy. Speak the word of God. Speak the word in and out of season. And, and it, you're right. It, it requires courage. I live by that tenant. I'm going to continue to share what God gave me. I get in trouble. I don't give a holy hoot. I've reached the I don't give a holy hoot age, so I don't give a holy hoot. Amen. <laughs> Every, so I'm just to all your listeners, you may want to edit this maybe later. Maybe not. If you include nah. it in this broadcast, I'm going to tell you off the bat, any Christian who takes a knee for any movement should repent. Yeah. I just said it because no movement, no movement, no movement is going to get Sam Rodriguez to take a knee. The only one's going to take the bump me to take a knee is Jesus. I'm going to bow before the Lord. I rebuke the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And any movement in America that says, if you believe in this, you have to say the following mantra. I'm gonna tell you the only thing I'm gonna say that I have to say. I'm gonna tell you the only thing Sam has to say. I confess with my mouth Amen. and believe with my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is a son of God, that he died for the forgiveness of my sins and resurrected to give me eternal life. That's the only thing Sam Rodriguez has to say. Yeah. Nothing else does Sam Rodriguez have to say in order to change the world around him. These are the words that sets a man free. Hmm. Sorry, I just got that off my chest. Yeah, I'm well, done. that's good. I mean, and, and so- oh, Feel free to edit. No, no, no we'll keep it I'm in. Like, we're good with it. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm better making all your calls. Yeah. <laughs> You're part of an organization called Power 21, which is, is an effort to get people to experience God through the power of the Holy Spirit around the globe. Um, and I talked to my friend Ashley, who's with that, Ashley Wilson. I know you're on the board. And, and what, he, what he said to me was, God is doing amazing things in everywhere but North America with this sort of movement. Why do you feel like North America is struggling to have the revival we're seeing in other, other places and other countries? I just alluded to previously. Because we're culturally driven. Because we're driven by optics. We're driven by the wineskin rather than the wine. We mm. care about followers more than we care about the one who we are following. We are obsessed with likes. Like, 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 like. We're defined by the likes of many. No, we're not. We're not defined by the likes of many. We're defined by the love of one. But the American church, man, we're obsessed with media platforms, social media platforms, followers, influence. Even that word needs to be dissected a bit. The word in and the word flu are embedded in there. But I mean, all of that, we have to reevaluate this. The church in America finds itself to be more politically correct than prophetically aligned. And if we would emerge with truth and love and stop drinking the Kool-Aid, we would change the world. We would change the world. When, when I'm concerned with voices in each generation, not just Generation X and the boomers, but millennial pastors who, who are drinking the Kool-Aid and who are advancing a cultural narrative that's not, that, that does not in any way force or shape line up with biblical orthodoxy. It does not. Um, and I'm, I am concerned. Hence the reason why Empower 21 is thriving everywhere and North America is not reflective of the, of the global, unbelievable effectiveness that Empower 21 has experienced and seen. But that day is turning, man. I do believe after COVID, you know, this pruning season yeah. has mm. woken up a great sector of the church. We're about to see a revival and awakening like we've never seen before. And yeah, I, I think God is exposing some things, revealing some things, repairing some other things, resetting some other things. All the R's that you referenced previously. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen. It's a new day indeed. Yeah. Amen. Um, before we, I know we're getting close to time for the show and we definitely want to honor your time. But I think um, one of my life verses comes from John chapter 17, where it talks about unity of the body, right? So this is how the world will know that Jesus is real by our unity together, our love for one another. So obviously an invasive culture, obviously um, that's part of the enemy's plan. Uh, it's not part of the prophetic plan at all. So how do we begin to restore nope. unity among our churches, despite denomination, despite theological disagreements, which I think are waning. I think we're, are waning. Rising, but, we're, but we're separated. It's no longer, unit. I would tell you how we do it. It's by, it's by being intentional. Uh, our, the lack of unity right now is not primarily denominational schism. That used to be the case back in the 20th century. It's right. still, there's still vestiges of it, but it's not primarily political. We're divided by politics. Yeah. By social, uh, political, cultural elements. So we're divided by that. And so basically now it's, you're either a liberal church or a conservative church. Right. There it is. And it's, it's scary because there is this a channel. Well, it's a liberal conservative It's just the church, right? And it's the Nicene Creed, biblical orthodoxy, to what's referenced in scripture. Unity is intentional. So for example, in, in Sacramento, we intentionally meet with pastors across the spectrum for the purpose of facilitating that unifying John 17, 21 prayerful outcome that Jesus laid out to the Father. We meet, we're intentional. I am intentional in being surrounded by individuals who may think different than I as it pertains to certain things, as long as they agree with that which is the heart of the matter. Biblical truth, that you can't compromise, no right. heresy. Biblical truth. But if in other issues, I surround myself with people that don't vote the way I vote, how about that? Uh, that, that in it, other issues outside the church may not line up with me, but 
if you're my brother in Christ, if Christ is the Lord of your life, if you're redeemed by the vicarious atoning work of Jesus, you're my brother. I'm going to honor you and love you and respect you. And so I'm intentional about it. I encourage every leader, don't live in a silo. Don't surround yourself exclusively with people that think like you and believe like you, because it's counterintuitive to the purpose of John 17, 21. Let's be one. Even when we disagree, let's not forget we're the church. We're not called to tolerate. We're called to love, mm. to love one another. So let's love one another. I'm going to love you even when I don't agree with you. I'm going to love you even when I don't vote like you. I'm still going to love you. And you're my brother and sister in Christ. Unity. It's intentional. It comes from the spirit of God. I'll, get, I'll leave you with this final word as we conclude here. Some years back, the spirit of God gave me a, a three-pronged rubric of what was next for the church. What's the spirit of God saying for the church? Be holy, be one, be light. Mm. Be holy, 1 Peter 1.16. Be one, John 17, 21, and be light, Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Be holy, be one, be light. And that's the order, by the way. Holiness and biblical, not legalism, by the way, mm. biblical holiness. Right. Be holy, be one, because there is no such thing as a black church, a white church, a brown church, or a yellow church. There's only one church, the church of Jesus. Be one, be light. The most bright, the brightest light in the spectrum is when all the colors come together. Do your Google due diligence on that. That's the brightest light. When we all come together, we're gonna shine like we've never shined before. And every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. Amen. Wow. That, that's, I mean, wow. Like, I don't have other expressions than wow. Um, <laughs> this has been a, a fire hose of encouragement, enlightenment, instruction i don't know i'm out of words to describe it but it's been really good we we want to wrap up with one final question pastor and we ask every one of our guests the same final question we do host here on the campus of the university um what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom <laughs> so wow it can be one football lesson. it can be whatever you know it's <laughs> well at pig pong back at Penn State first couple of years. Um, one lesson I learned in college, I learned that I was not appropriately prepared from high school. That's what I definitely learned. There are subject <laughs> matters that I was inadequately prepared for. Time management, time management. Good. You know, it's time management. Uh, and I don't mean just cramping up for tests and so forth, but it was time management. How to manage your time. That's, what, that's one of the greatest, if, that may be the deliverable of your undergraduate studies, mm. how to manage your time in order to achieve or accomplish your task. Time management, indeed. Awesome. awesome. Well, Pastor, uh, we have a lot of things we could say, but mostly we just want to say, uh, as we always do here at the Leadership Drip, please know you always have a seat at this table. Yeah, and we thank you for coming on. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Let's go change the world together. God bless. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table. <laughs>